after this week, I want to be strong and be quiet. <laughs> Why would I ever throw a punch when my words can knock you out? <laughs> a new guest coming in hot with a very strong tagline. You guys, it's Andy's Girls. Welcome to the fever dream that has been this week. I feel like I am a survivor and I am so fortunate to have a new guest to the People's People's Couch who can help me, please, dear God, mention it all. You know him. As in his words, a Twitter gay and listen, <laughs> representation matters. So welcome, first time here to the Clawfist Zoom Kiki, <laughs> Bethany Frankel HQ. Welcome, Jarrett Weisselman. Jarrett, how are we? Uh, like you, I am exhausted from what Miss Frankel has put us through this week. These early morning drops to be prepared and listen to insanity is exhausting, but I'm doing wonderful to be here. I'm so excited you and I are finally doing this. We've talked about it for so long and it's so <laughs> wonderful. This is your first time on Andy's Girls. I have to ask, when did your housewives experience, when yeah. did your, you know, entry into the housewives universe begin? What was the um, through line for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty old as a human. No, I, I'm pretty OG. <laughs> we love an old. Um, no, I I mean, I really was watching season one of New York. I was there, you know, I'm from the East Coast. I'm from New Jersey. So obviously, the Jersey is big interest as well. But New York, New Jersey have always been like my home in my heart. And so those cities were really where I started. And I think I fell in love immediately, you know, between just everything that happened in season one of New Jersey and the former Manhattan moms, i.e. Real mm. Housewives of New York City. And then I kind of went, you know, pretty consistently from there. And then obviously I realized the pantheon of shows that I had sort of not watched yet, Atlanta. So then I caught up on Atlanta and then got into that. OC was actually the last franchise I started watching. And I, because look, I... <laughs> I, I I like my housewives to have a bit of glamour to them and not that OC is not glamorous, but it just, they didn't really feel like women I needed to spend time with, especially in those early days. But then one Miss Megan King Edmonds came on the scene and, and that the whole Brooks cancer thing, detective Megan King Edmonds was when OC like hooked me. And so I started watching OC that season. And then when that season was over, I was like, well, now I need to know where all these monsters came from. So I went back to almost the beginning of OC and then watched that. And so now I watch all of them. That's so interesting. I've always kind of wondered what that must be like to start, you know, maybe you've heard word on the street yeah. is like something wild and insane is happening. You start then, you don't necessarily know these women. Surely you've right. heard about them, but to go so deep, so well. far into the series has to be really exciting. I mean, it's it's a full-fledged machine at that point, let alone the literal OG. Yeah, well, I had similar experiences actually with Vanderpump Rules and Summer House, which I didn't watch Summer House, I think the first two or three seasons. And then all of my friends were obsessed with it. So I was like, well, I need to know what this is all about. Obviously, got drunk on the Summer House sauce. And now I sort of love that. It's It's in a tough <laughs> spot right now for me. It was a similar thing with Vanderpump Rules, where my friends were all talking about it. And then when I watched 
in one sitting, I'm not joking, season two of Vanderpump Rules, mm-hmm. the Stasi slapping Kristen, the mm-hmm. cheating allegations, Jack's, you know, all it was, I was like, this is why I was put on this earth. This is the mm-hmm. kind of television <laughs> that I need more of in my life. And so that brought that in. And then we've done some below decks. We've done, you know, I mean, I pretty much married to medicine. I mean, the only things on Bravo that I don't watch are the real estate shows because they, I'm not like a real real estate person. Got and it. They just never grabbed me. So when did you start like the VPR binge? I mean, this, I mean, this was, I mean, this was years ago. I think it was oh, okay. after maybe, yeah, this was maybe after like season three or four. Oh. Okay, I was thinking, like, is this COVID? Because I know a lot of people started their housewives journey, their Bravo journey during COVID and have caught up ostensibly. Which honestly was one of the only good things about COVID was how much time it gave us to be in watching Bravo. And in my case, rewatching. I don't know if you do this, but when I'm bored or on a Sunday or like, I'm just constantly rewatching old seasons. I mean, it's just, it's my comfort food. I don't know how to fall asleep at night without women screaming at each other to <laughs> lull me into unconsciousness. It's the only way I know how to be at this point, Sarah. Yeah, it's, um, I used to do that a lot more. And I think because of Andy's girls, I have found myself needing to disconnect, but not, that doesn't mean not rewatching Bravo, but it does mean, for example, instead of potentially rewatching New York. And as I say that out loud, I'm like, oh, maybe I should do that later. Um, I'll rewatch <laughs> Ultimate Girls Trip. So I just rewatched Ultimate yeah. Girls Trip season two this week and was like, oh, Ooh. this is exactly what I need in my life right now. It was just so chaotic and nuts. And, yeah. you know, Sweet Jill, poor Sweet Jill, I felt like spoke so many truths about Dorinda in those episodes that just really landed for me. I was like, my God, why didn't I watch this again sooner? Yeah, the the Dorinda thing, I think, for all of us is just a big bummer. You know what I mean? Because going back, as I just said, as I'm opt to do and watch earlier seasons, she was such a, listen, she was still a disaster in those first two, three seasons, but she was lighter and more fun. And just there was such an anger to her in her final two seasons and then on Ultimate Girls Trip also that it just... I want I want her to get back to that nice place for her. Like as a human being, I want her to feel light and fun and happy, you know, and then also us by proxy. Conversely, I think some of that light certainly absolutely was real, was there and probably still exists. But also how much of a person's seeming change in character or behavior really comes as the result of us just getting to know them better? That's and a really also good point. maybe them changing as a as a part of being on reality TV of being inside this universe maybe feeling a little trapped inside of it or just honestly used to the world that exists that's somewhat toxic and that engaging someone to get to a darker place like we want to see them be lighter but I don't know that the machine is built for that to happen. Yeah, that's a really a really astute point. And I think you're right, because I think if you look at sort of the people who have lasted the longest, they've they've all taken a turn towards the dark side, but found a way to, for whatever reason, keep it kind of light. Like, I mean, I think about, let's talk about Kyle, for example, right? Mm. I mean, you know, I, I often think about, you know, my all-time favorite housewives or the housewives who've given us the most, quote unquote. And it's the people who've, you know, like the Teresa's, like I got married on the show, I went to jail on the show, I had a baby on the show. I mean, Kyle has 
routinely fallen out with her sisters, had horrific fights, lost one of her best friends, is potentially going through a divorce now, you know, but there is still a lightness to her in the show. And so it's really interesting to think about the kinds of personalities that do tend to take it down and the ones who can kind of stay up a little bit emotionally. I think you have to have such a solid foundation in order to maintain and survive this universe without losing yourself potentially or finding a new version of yourself and that being your identity. Like the ease in which a person can sometimes seemingly become our perception of them because Mm -hmm. of the construct of reality TV, because of the construct of like, personality brand identity is very very hard to get away from and then some people fight it so much that it feels like the consequence of that is indirectly becoming this thing that we're accusing them of having been the whole time so kyle is a that's a great example because she is someone to me i adore kyle she is in my top five who has had obviously these loaded dramatic moments on camera, off camera, but does also feel like she still has and brings with her a lot of light. I think that's a great point. Great example. Thank thank you. I mean, listen, well, it's an interesting (laughs) kind of, um, I would say a little bit of a transition because there's a conversation there when it comes into the idea of, things becoming too dark, too toxic to maybe continue. I think a lot about the new transition into new New York. I'm curious, you mentioned your love of New York, your feeling about the entirety of old New York, OG New York, season 13, and then going into this new transition. What were your expectations? And um, what's your perception of whether or not they've been achieved? Yeah. So old New York for me, I mean, Roni is my favorite of all the Housewives franchises. It's a, it's a close, I mean, it, it vacillates a little bit, but when you look at the totality of the, the series, it's New York. There's just no, it doesn't hold a candle. Nothing holds a candle to it. Um, that said, I think what, I mean, obviously let's not even get into that last season. Cause that was, we all know that was a shit show, yeah. but I think, I think the problem with New York that no other franchise actually faces is they had had the most amount of OGs the longest, right? You still had Lou and Sonia and Ramona and Dorinda to some extent, but these were women who had been on the show, in Ramona's case, since day one, and Luann's case. Sonia came in season three um, or two, no, three. And so you had these deep friendships, but also these women who felt like, I own this show. And they would bring in like one person here and one person there, but they would always fall by the wayside, right? You had Jules for one season, you had Cindy Barshop for one season. Tinsley was sort of the longest in addition to Dorinda who came in late to that original core thing as an individual and lasted that long. I don't think there's a world where you could move Roni as a franchise forward with any of those women in it because they were always going to keep Roni in the place that it was and not really be able to make it into something new. And you couldn't even have like one of them sticking around because I think you would have that feeling of, well, this is still the old Roni and now you're you're comparing it. So I think this break was the only way they were able to move forward with the franchise in general because they needed there to be no connections to the previous version of the show. I think 
they didn't do themselves any favors by just calling it Real Housewives of New York again in the fans' eyes. Because in reality, and this is how I approached it, it's an entirely new show. It's like it's like Dubai, right? It's like it's all new people. It's a new perspective. It's essentially a new city. I mean, we're seeing places in New York in one season we didn't <laughs> see in 13 seasons of the other one. It's it's I mean, we're in Brooklyn happily. You know what I mean? We had to go to Brooklyn to make fun of Alex McCord for the first three years. <laughs> Brooklyn was truly just the conduit to see what the fuck was happening in that red living room. Yes, 100%. exactly. And so, so I approached it from the lens of this is a new thing. I'm approaching it like a new, any new franchise that I would. I was nervous, obviously, but I got to tell you, I'm loving it. I'm loving, I think it was a, a bit of a rocky start simply because I'm sure you've talked about this, but they had the other housewife who they then fired after a few weeks of production or, or she left after a few weeks of production. So you kind of, they had to cut her out. So you got dropped into what is essentially, I feel like episode four or five mm -hmm. in episode one. And so you did feel like you're playing a little bit of catch up, but I caught up really quickly. I think the women are so interesting and dynamic and now finally all finding their groove, both in terms of being in front of the camera, but also how to engage. I she was my least favorite in the beginning, and she's kind of emerging as, I think, maybe the star of the show, and that's Jessel. I think there is something about her that is so perfectly housewifey-in, in that she is, in her mind, very well-intentioned. In reality, could not be worse. And I think that kind of delusion is exactly what you want in a housewife. Um, I think Bryn is a delight. I love watching her. I find her to be gorgeous. I love also the last two weeks really digging into her backstory in such dynamic ways and like really her as a person kind of opening up and showing why. She, I love when you see why the way someone is what they are. It was crazy to me that it took us seven or eight seasons to hear all of that stuff about Ramona's childhood, right? Her abusive father, the horrible environment she came from, having to call the cops on her parents. I'm like, that is such important character building information. It's crazy. It took us so long to get it from her. And I think we're getting it much earlier now with a lot of through the new cities and the new women. And so Bryn is a great example of that. Um, although I do wonder what her housewife's tagline has to do with anything. I mean, are we going to see a storyline where she sleeps with someone's dad? Because that would be great. But otherwise, it <laughs> does feel a little random. <laughs> I do think it's, I think she maybe flirts with Aaron's dad, but I don't really know. And Aaron's Love dad that. does seem very charismatic. So like, who yeah. knows what happens there as far as like a potential flirt or if it's just like a total LOL. Um, yeah. I do have to shout out when it comes to Jessel, friend of the pod, Tom Smythe coined Jessel stands as tank tops, T-A-A-N-K. <laughs> and I just think that's like, I've used it so many times in the last like 72 hours, including directly to Jessel. Like, I'm just like, a <laughs> like, I'm a tank top. Like, what is even happening to me at this point? That's really funny. Honestly. I like that a lot. I, a shout out to Tom. It's about Tom, truly. It's it's all. I mean, it it's is about, about Tom. Tom. Yeah, but no, I think it's great. I I think I, I I was listening to some podcast and they were like, the interesting thing about Jenna Lyons is if she wasn't Jenna Lyons, everyone would hate her because she's not that interesting and she doesn't really bring that much. And it's it's a fair point. I feel like she is kind of the least engaged, most quote unquote boring of the women. But at the same time, 
I I don't agree with that because I think I just find her very charismatic. There's something about her. She's the kind of like effortless, alluring charisma that you almost like, honestly, like Kelly Ben Simone in that way where you're just sort of like leaning. You're like, I just want to know more. Like, I don't, I, I, you're an enigma and I, not because you don't like Dill, but you're like energetically an enigma. You know what I mean? She's just really, really cool. And Sai, I don't know. I think she's, I think, I think there's a, I think there's something, I think people need to do a little bit of a deeper dive into the influencer of it all and not necessarily look at how many followers she has, but look at the engagement on all of her posts. Cause from a perspective of somebody who works in social, if you have 500,000 followers and 24 comments on every post to, or a thousand likes on every post to me, that screams bots. But listen, that's allegedly, I don't know. I'm just saying that's my, that's just take a look. There's just, I mean, and it's hard, it's hard now because obviously post housewives, things are going to escalate. But if you go back pre-show premiering, first of all, one pre-show premiering, she didn't have it turned off that you saw how many likes a post had. Now, you know, now you can just see like this one person and others. That's what you see on her post now. So you're not getting the actual numerical performance of a post external facing, but you can always see how many comments there are. And if you go back maybe like a week before, two weeks before the show premiered, she had 400,000 followers and there's like a hundred comments on a post. And that is very, very weird to me. It's a very, it's a, it's, it, it triggers something in my mind in terms of honesty, let's say. But do you think that was related to, let's go down this path of imagination. Do you think that that (laughs) would be, I mean, how long has she had 400,000 followers? It could have been years prior or or a buildup to that could have been years prior to New York even being a potential idea as far as joining the show. No, it definitely could be. I think what I'm saying is though, before she had like 400,000 followers, like in the weeks before the show premiered and the engagement on those posts was very, very low. So to me, it says these aren't real people that follow you. So it's like, you have you bought followers to give yourself a higher number? And the actual performance of your post shows the amount of real followers that you have on social media. So I'm too cheap to ever even consider that. And I just don't <laughs> I think it's worth it. I just like don't like, understand. Like I'm silly. like <laughs> it's, it's so silly. Like I get it, but like I don't understand. But I remember that I think it was New York magazine, Vulture, maybe a gawkery Jezebel Sitch yeah. did some sort of analysis of real housewives and bots. This was like, mm-hmm. I think in the last several years and did a whole like apples to apples engagement and numbers and like looking at the companies that might whatever whatever this is during previous iterations of new york i think shout out again jill zarin that at that point jill zarin was maybe the number one for like possibly which again i'm like you know i stand like i have no problem with it i don't understand it enough to care i just think of it more as like a curio than anything else but uh i would assume that the idea of building an engagement with one's visa or amex is probably a big part of influencing these days it's like you start with a somewhat artificial following and then fake becomes real yeah i mean it's it's actually a great 
like equivalency to housewives. You know what I mean? These people come on the show and they pretend to have money and everything is rented and their houses are rented. And then by being, by looking rich, they end up kind of getting rich because of the show. Yeah. And a lot of these people might have access to perform. Some of that performance yeah. might be, especially with these newer generations of housewives, the idea of popularity and what does popularity mean on social media it typically means growth. I mean, obviously, there are other metrics to look at, but um, seemingly that's a big part of it. I mean, you know, you're talking about how New York is your number one, and it really has for me been absolutely my goat for a very long period of time. And I'm just thinking about the new cast and I don't think this is like a sense of melancholy. I just think it's reality and potentially some hope. But like, I don't know where I would put New York right now. It doesn't because yeah. we're now in a new generation. So my um, preference of ranking franchises, New York Housewives being historically at the top, that world doesn't exist anymore. So while right. I'm enjoying the new world, I'm thinking to myself, Wait a second. So is Real Housewives of New York City still my number one? Because at what point am I basing that on memory? Absolutely. And it, it that's to my what I was saying before about calling it Roni, it it doesn't help anyone. The only thing it helps is people going on Peacock, watching the old seasons, and then right. getting served the new one because it's the under the same header, right? If it was called Roni New New York or something, or New New City, New What whatever, they would have to build it separately on on Peacock, right? So, or or on your DVR, like it wouldn't automatically record because you had it set from before. And so I think that's the advantage and obviously brand identity. But I think that you're right. Like I almost feel like us as fans need to kind of create our own separation in the rankings and kind of consider this a season one because it is, it's not season 13. No, I mean, thank God it's not season 13. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I that's the that's the difficulty here and it gets into the idea of streams and strategy and right. the corporate brand identity and it would be I know that there's been a conversation including between Jill and Bethany on Bethany's podcast about like I wish this the new show had a new name and it's right. like I get that. Like I know that they wish it was Saved by the Bell the college years, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. the reality is Right. If you have like, you know, Real Housewives of New York, the next generation, Real Housewives of New York, a new right. beginning hath begun. What about the other beginning? Like what then happens right. to the other show? The idea that yeah. New York in its title would not continue to grow would end at 13. I don't think that makes like spiritual sense. Yeah. And it's, you know, and it, there are enough similarities there's never been like a full overhaul like this but there have been seasons of i mean you know the season of roni where carol and heather came in like that felt like a big overhaul and yet we still called it roni you've had huge shifts on oc but it's still called oc i mean there was a while where Tamara was the only like original person left and you know called, i mean like, almost a, original those were those yeah. were dark. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like, she yeah, feels yeah, yeah. OG. Close, close. But you're like right. Dorinda. Yeah. Like Dorinda, honestly. Right, Dorinda right. feels like an OG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Sonia, too, right? So it's yeah. like, but, like, God, those years where Shannon was the alone person, was those were the darkest of times. <sighs> like, I mean, truly, like, I even think if you look on Shannon's face, she's like, what am I doing here? Like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't want to be here. 
<laughs> or rather, what are these other people doing here and why are they right. with me? I mean, yes. how are you feeling about Orange County this season? So I got to tell you, something very unexpected has happened. It is tell me my favorite franchise on right now. Mm-hmm. It is spectacular in every way. It's great the way they're leveraging Vicky. First of all, I've never been a Vicky fan. I get I get the allure of Vicky. I get the OG of the OC of it all. I've always found her to be exhausting. And maybe that's because I came in on the cancer season, right? Where she was clearly lying. Sorry, I, that's what I believe. Um, so she's always been this big fake liar in my mind. And so I think that probably colored how I saw everything else. But I'm thinking she's easy. She's breezy. She's light this season. I think she's coming in and actually being fun. Like, and I love that for her. Um, I think this is Gina and Emily's best season so far. I think they've really settled into, well, first of all, Gina's clearly mentally and emotionally in a good place. Do you know what I mean? Like she's obviously gotten through a lot of the drama and the crisis with her ex and not drinking. Um, Emily, I think is fun and she gets her place. I think Heather's getting raked over the coals for things that are not her fault, but also that's really fun to do to Heather because she gets so bent out of shape. <laughs> I think it's insane that Tamara brought this woman on the show to just beat her down mentally, verbally, and emotionally every single week, but <laughs> it's working. And even Shannon, who I'm not typically a fan of, is just, I think, on a 10 right now. It's just everything is clicking on OC for me. And I'm actually looking forward to watching it, which has never happened since the Brooke season. <laughs> I mean, the fact that they didn't give us a new episode this week, I was like, who who told you that was allowed? Like, who told you we would be okay with that? I know. I what is okay, so let me ask you a question as obviously an aficionado. What is your feeling when you see housewives talking to production like we've seen from Shannon in the last two episodes, right? Going over to production saying this, if you put this in the show, like what's your feeling about when that happens? I love it when it's used judiciously. I think if we had it every, you know, every episode or multiple times this season, we would become so used to it. I mean, that's sort of the delight of a reunion cycle is that there's typically some sort of um, breaking of the fourth wall. It's also why a lot of people have grown really attached to Girls Trip because that feels like it's the total destruction of the fourth wall where a lot of conflict is built around the understanding that this universe is artificial and here we are at war as a result. Um, So with Shannon, I think it's not only the fact that she's talking to production and it's just kind of like a Truman Show reminder that there are other people (laughs) at work here who are like quite literally, you know, holding microphones and such. But it's also just an example of her desperation about trying to keep her relationship together. Right. Even the ways she's trying to normalize it by being like, you know, I have what what was her, what was the phrasing? It was like, oh, I have I have normal fights with my with I have normal fights with my boyfriend that paralyze me. Yes, I was like, oh, I mean, Shannon, that's horrifying. <laughs> she's like, that's that's. I mean, it's just like the reality is just like I have these things that are like I'm completely overwhelmed and I don't know how to move myself or yeah. possibly breathe. I mean, I just it's so. It's one of those things of feeling like spiritually I'm in a little bit of not even purgatory, but this hurry up and wait of 
trying to understand Shannon and John, knowing that had they right. not gotten back together, we would possibly have more of a window into the truth of their relationship, which may not happen ever and or right. may not happen until someone likely John decides to move on. Because I don't know that if given the opportunity, Shannon will say enough. And that's tough. I mean, it's it's tough. I agree. I mean, the stories coming out about, you know, them still hanging out together all the time, the story that, you know, she refuted on Watch What Happens Live about getting into the screaming fight with his daughter, at, you know, at that re where she got kicked out, but she said she didn't. It's just, but also every story about their relationship seems like it sucks. You know what I mean? Like he lives on a boat. They never spend the night. They've been together for three years. Like, and I am, by the way, I am all for long distance relationships. Like, I think that's actually a beautiful thing. If you can find a way to have somebody fit into your life when they're not physically there and that benefits you, more power to you. But he's like two miles away. You know I know, what I mean? I'm like, saying, like long distance. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the universe like, of housewives. I know it's a bubble, <laughs> but it doesn't require a passport. That's what I mean. And so it's like, this isn't even a long distance relationship. This is somebody who's in your town who doesn't want to see you. That's this is, the distance. <laughs> that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the emotionally long distance. <laughs> it's a self imposed long distance relationship. John identifies as being the long in that scenario, which also means yes. he probably hasn't watched that recent episode of Family Feud. Oh but, my God. Um, did I. I Heather's can't. Heather's reaction. Heather's reaction to Shannon saying that is my favorite part of that clip. I it's haven't so actually seen the episode yet, but I did see the clip where it was like, what separates your significant other from being the sexiest man alive? And Shannon goes like his penis. And it just It's <laughs> I love her so much. She's like, is that bad? Is that bad? It's like that's that's know. horrible. That's He's a like, horrible thing. You know to what? Say. If he had concern about what you were saying about him on television, then I guess going on a reality TV competition show like Family Feud is a little asterisk. It's like the exception of like, oh, I can't even say we yell sometimes on Housewives, but on Family Feud, I'm gonna talk about his dick. And I'm here for it. I'm here for that it. That was why I loved in the the girls' night episode where they all changed uh personalities on OC. They all dressed like each other and they're like they told Vicky to do a striptease and she took off her shirt and she goes are my kids gonna be embarrassed and Gina goes after 13 seasons this is the thing that's gonna embarrass your children and I was like exactly exactly right and the thing with Vicky is that I think is really interesting when it gets into the idea of housewives as parents and you think of some of like the wildest examples of behavior and Vicky yeah. would be at the, you know, like in the top 10 in thinking yeah. about wild, chaotic, iconic moments. Seems like she's done an incredible job as a parent and as someone who was doing the bulk of the parenting. Yeah. I've always thought the world of Brianna, she seems like such a good person. She seems like she has got such a good head on her shoulders. I do question that husband <laughs> a little bit right but that's listen that's not my choice that's her choice but i think she's great she's clearly a great mother vicky loves being a grandmother even michael who i was convinced when he graduated high school was going to leave the state of california and never see this woman again because he always looked so <laughs> horrified horrified when she was around and now he works for her and sees her every day so clearly her children love her so much and so I think that's a real testament to her as a mother, for sure. 
And they seem really grounded and centered. And while she does deserve a lot of the credit for that, there is also the idea of like scared straight of like, you know, that like old school. I don't know if people still even are watching that, but it's like a fucking like after school special of kids in trouble and, you know, being shown what happens if you have to uh, face authority in that manner. And I wonder how much of a role reality TV played in that with some of these kids. Of like, I'm seeing the worst behavior absolutely possible rewarded for it. And not only is it like anything a child's parent does is embarrassing, but this is on a global scale, seemingly. So how does yeah. that influence a child's perspective, even on acting out in certain ways as they reach a mature age? Yeah, that's a really good point. I've always been really curious to see what Teresa's kids were going to be like as they grew up, because I think They're they be obviously- great kids. I, I do. Well, first of all, I think Gia is, I mean, listen, like, first of all, the best head on her shoulder has yes. had for such a long time. Agreed. The way she comes for her mother and for her father and to defend her sisters most of the time. I'm like, that's a good kid right there. Yeah. Like, that's a really good Agreed. kid. I think, I think, but I don't know. There's three more. You know what I mean? Like, who, who knows? But they all seem to be really close, really love each other. I'm more concerned about. So I have this theory. Okay. And I, this is based on just, you know, oh, no, knowing these people so well. Okay. I my my wor- here's my worry. My worry is that I don't know how we feel about Louis. I think he's a demon monster who is okay. going to ruin Teresa's life. My biggest worry though is that his next step in isolating Teresa from other people is to find a way to cut her off from her daughters. And I feel like that's when shit gets really crazy. You know what I mean? When, it, Especially given the connection she has with her kids. I worry that Teresa, as we've seen for 13 years, is very susceptible to smart people manipulating her. Or not even smart people, just people manipulating her. And I worry that there's a world where Louis manipulates Teresa into cutting her daughters off. And I think that's going to be very catastrophic. I think I understand that concern. I think a more likely scenario that I'm sure we both hope doesn't happen is that there may come a point where one of those kids might see Louie in a way that is closer to our perception of them than the current perception inside Teresa's inner circle from what we've Mm -hmm. heard and the way that they've all um, said how fantastic he is, X, Y, Z. If... At whatever point that might change, I could see there be some sort of like separation of like, I don't necessarily want to be a part of this versus Mm -hmm. him doing the work. But at the end of the day, the result is the same because of Louis himself. I hope that that doesn't happen. I hope it doesn't get to that point. But I do think he is an incredibly toxic force in her life wrapped up in toxic (laughs) masculinity wrapped up in toxic wellness and positivity and it feels incredibly incredibly manipulative and self-serving and um not great so hopefully there will be some sort of reckoning i'm so with you Paris is always a good idea. And when I schlep on over to Europe to my favorite city in the world, I bring with me a few important phrases that I have learned from housewives. 
C'est bon, c'est bon. Chic, c'est la vie. Je m'appelle the Countess, n'est-ce pas, Luan? <laughs> and while those key phrases are important when speaking to any French bravoholic for other matters of life, that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including, of course, French. It features fast language acquisition. It immerses you in so many ways. There's no English translations. So you really learn to speak, to listen, and to think in that language. It's an intuitive process. You pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. J'adore Chris Manzo. Et toi? There's a speech recognition filter which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's convenient with desktop and app options, and it's an amazing value. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off. A steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, AGs can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing me with free samples. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. It delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Living in New York City is not easy. Just ask Sonia, trying to sell that house. There are so many mornings where I wake up and think, oh my gosh, I'm having the worst cold of my life. And I realize it's actually from allergies. When my nasal allergies flare up, and that happens when the season changes and the temps get a little warmer than they normally are, I use Astapro, and I'm amazed at how fast I'm back in the game. And that game is looking for Dorinda on the Upper East Side. Astapro always has my back and nose. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. In the words of Meredith Marks, when it comes to that week, week and a half before my period, I wish I was disengaging. My PMS is off the charts. Truly Uber Eats needs to check in and say, it's about that time, isn't it? I know it is. The cravings are crazy. I want to crawl out of my skin. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony and Estro Control, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. 
And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. For AGs who are friends of perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause, Happy Mammoth has hormone harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through those stages. It's also become a phenomenon. Women can't stop talking about it on social media. A bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ANDESGIRLS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code ANDESGIRLS for 15% off today. I'm engaging. I just came back from the salon, and for the record, I went with a sassy little bob and quiet luxury shade of blonde. Yes, that's literally what we're calling it, quiet luxury. (laughs) Aside from trips to the salon, I don't actually blow out my hair. My hair is naturally wavy, and that's why I love Way. Way's new anti-frizz cream is a lightweight cream that provides immediate frizz control that lasts for up to 72 hours. I know that I have a limited amount of time (laughs) with wet, wavy hair in which to get myself in order. And that is why I love the anti-frizz cream. It has notes of bergamot, Italian lemon, violet, and more. And it smells unbelievable. Believable. Truly, as someone who is a little bit sensitive to scents, I put this in my hair and I feel great. It also genuinely pairs well with my perfume, which I appreciate. I don't blow out my hair because after years of color processing and attempting to make it straight, I know it looks better and stays healthier when I avoid blow drying, which is why I love the anti-frizz cream. I've used products, especially with wavy hair, where it feels heavy and looks kind of wet. And that's why I love Waze Anti-Frizz Cream because it enhances the natural waves in my hair. I still look like me, just a little elevated. And P.S. I am way obsessed with Waze other bestsellers. Their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, my personal favorite. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E- O-U-A-I dot com and enter promo code Andy for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I dot com with promo code Andy. Conversations around wellness and weight loss can be complicated. There's the Instagram filter we all see on IG and social media and then IRL. And between $20 smoothies and daily ice baths, everyone is doing the most to hack the health system. But there's a better way. Row. Row provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. And you can sign up from the comfort of your own home. No scheduling a doctor's appointment, commute to the doctor's office, and no waiting rooms. The Row Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Of course, medication must be paired with diet and exercise modifications in order to achieve any stated results. Medication cost is not included in the program. Patients must pay for medication separately. 
With Roe, average weight loss is 15 to 20% in one year with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash andysgirls. You can sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's roco slash andysgirls. Sign up today. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. I don't know what's gonna. I don't know what's gonna happen there. I mean, this. I can't believe they're already filming the season of Jersey and everyone is back. Like, I genuinely did not think we were gonna get to this place where, like, look, I, I don't understand how the show works without Teresa, Teresa and Melissa and all the other players, but I also do not understand how it works with them. I, I, and and I don't want like to. I don't want like upstairs, downstairs, Downton Abbey, like here's their storyline, here's our storyline. That's not the show either. So, and there's no healing there. I don't think there's any world where that's being fixed. So I don't, and I also don't see them as the people who can like coexist in a group setting. And because then we're in the same thing again. So I don't know. In every way, I don't know what's going to happen there. And, you know, I just want my state to survive. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that unfortunately, I, there's going to be pressure on other members of the cast to either deliver or fracture or, yeah. you know, use one word to represent another. I think it's going to become a point where attention is placed less on the Teresa and Melissa dynamic and more on other possible feuds that might begin as a result of sides within the yeah. Teresa Melissa of it all, but will become their own separate battles. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the Jen and Marge thing has been an undercurrent for years. And so I, but again, I'm also sick of that story too. Like, I don't care. Like we've all moved on. Like Bill cheated. You moved past it. Marge brought it up. Like I'm also done with that story too. Like that, that's my worry. I worry that all of the stories, the long-term running stories on Jersey I'm done talking about like I, I'm over all of them. And so but I do really like the two new girls, Rachel and Danielle. I yeah. think they're really interesting and have a lot of promise. And I'm glad they're both back. I think Danielle got like made some weird choices that put her in on her heels most of the season in a way I wish she hadn't have been because I think that she's got a lot of potential. I think she's really charismatic. I could see her kind of being a future of this franchise, like kind of really like rising to the top. I think she's got the personality for it. I just think she, her husband is hot as hell. So like, I love that. <laughs> um, and I think he might be like one of the hottest housewives husbands now. Um, and so I hope that there's almost like the, you know, you, they always promise that a reunion, there'll be a reset and we'll start over. I actually really do hope that's the case with Rachel and Danielle and the other women coming into this new season of Jersey. Yeah, and as to what you were saying about um, Jen, Aiden, and Marge, I think the problem for challenge for Marge is that there seems to be a vested interest in showing the audience that Jen might be fake. 
and yes. might be behaving. And maybe that's fake in manufacturing stuff for camera. Maybe that's just in not feeling comfortable being herself when she's with Teresa versus another yeah. version of herself with everyone else. Yeah. And the reality is like people pretty much know that. And yeah, we got it. So we got it's like, it. what's the, there's no real surprise or reveal here. It's like, yeah, we understand. Well, that's exactly what it is. I think Marge also miscalculates how much like how funny we find Jen Aiden. Like yeah. at least I'll speak for myself. Like I think she's f- really funny. Right. I think she's I think she's ridiculous and over the top and such an asshole. But like, th- what do you think I'm here for? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not here for like ser- like serious women talking about books. Like I don't I don't even have that in my own life. I don't hang out with people like that in my or- in my normal life. I just I think serious I think Jen- women talking about <laughs> books. Oh you know. <laughs> Okay, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, I'm just saying. So I just think, I think Marge maybe miscalculates what the audience thinks of Jen Aiden or is in her own bubble about how the audience sees her. Cause I, I hated her in her first season and then I had a full 180 on yeah, her. And I, I think she's delightful. I mean, I would never want to be alone in a room with her or be her friend, but on my <laughs> television, please never leave. Well, I think that's the thing too, when they hear, when especially also viewers and AGs, when they hear someone say like, I really enjoy Jen, they think that means I like Jen as a person or I side right. with Jen. And the reality is like, I I don't know that I ever have, like maybe three <laughs> yeah. times in the years where I'm like, oh, there's a point there. And they can be on big things, but like, yeah. I just think she's so, I think she's really funny and really quick. Yeah. And I disagree with like most of everything that I see her do and I delight in it. So it's like, exactly to convince me she's, uh, you know, maybe a piece of shit. It's a yes and like <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> like she's like yeah. she's giving me the energy that I feel like I require, especially when New Jersey is in such a toxic place. Exactly. Like I'll be honest. Like I don't think anyone on Real Housewives is a good person. I mean, I'm sure. Oh, I disagree. Here, I no, I think no. I mean, I'm sure people. they are. But I, I. What's a good person anyway? They're well, exactly. People. And they're human people. We're all human people, right? I'm not coming to Housewives for morality tales. You know what I mean? I'm coming to watch like fun, over the top, ridiculousness with beautiful women who have like interesting relationships with their themselves and their friends. I I understand that. I feel differently in the sense of a morality tale. I think there's a morality tale that can be told, listened to, or discussed regardless of the character that we're seeing portrayed on screen. But I also give these women credit because... There is an incredible amount of vulnerability and risk oh, in going yeah. on these shows. And I w- I don't paint the picture that all of these people are uh, the archetype of badness or the archetype right. of what not to do. I think the value is in seeing their behavior on camera, which is often elevated and often wild and escalated because of the seeming re- requirements of their job that there is still opportunity to discuss the nuance. As you said, in talking about childhoods and talking about the ways that many of these women have experienced trauma and how that's shaped their universe and being and relationships with others, there's so much potential value that can come out of this that um, I appreciate because it requires a lot of trust, seeming potentially between these cast members and each 
and each other, but it's also like the cast members and the audience of I'm sharing this thing. I know that you may not be kind to it, but I am doing it anyway. It's like such a trust game at a certain point, which does, which might seem confusing, but I think that's also kind of the point. No, absolutely. And I think I maybe just misstated, but to your point, like, I think if I could pivot, I think Atlanta, while it has a lot of problems this season, something I've been so intrigued by and appreciative of are the conversations with Drew's sister Allison oh and with Sonia's and, and with and with Sonia's sister also. I think those are such those are things we really haven't seen before. I mean, obviously we've had siblings on the show, but I don't think the Kim Kyle Kathy is this at all. It first of all, what Allison has like shared with this audience from a yes. mental health perspective, for especially for a black community, which they say, like I mean Drew said, like is not talked about that much is really incredible and like something I never expected to see on any of these shows like to that level and like really sitting in it and talking about it and analyzing it. And then the Sonya sister thing to me is fascinating. And I almost feel like we didn't spend enough time with that. The idea that my sister worked for me and then I started treating my sister like an employee and now my sister no longer wants to be my employee and is questioning whether she wants to be my sister. Like that is heavy, like really heavy. I don't think it's questioning whether or not she wants to be my sister. I think it's questioning a brand identity that assigns her as sister. And Sonya's trying to uh, understand, like, she's like, why weren't you as supportive to me before now as you were before? Like, you're my sister. And the idea is like, Actually, I am a person. I am a mother. I am a wife. I am a me. I am not only your sister and you do not take priority in my life. Mm. I think that kind of reckoning for Sonia is really interesting because I think she gets it. I think it's just taking her a moment. It's taking her a moment. And I think it gets into the idea of loyalty and of like mm -hmm. support. And when you add on celebrity on top of that and the professional requirements, if this person is also an employee in a way right. and her husband was working for you for a short period of time as well, I mean, and you all live together, how much of Sonia's life has to exist as the primary definition for everyone right, else. As the I mean, focus. it is. I'm glad you brought that up because it is incredibly interesting and um, helps shape more layers of understanding Sonia, which hasn't necessarily existed in that way. At least our, at least the narrative around her. I agree. I And I think that's hard, too, because I just don't think in general Atlanta knows what it's trying to do right now as a city. I think because there's so many disparate things and it's sort of like nothing's really connecting. You're having these yeah. heavy, beautiful conversations with Sonia. And I mean, Drew, I mean, good Lord, like every part of Drew's life is madness right now. Mm -hmm. But then you're mixing that in with Marlo like having these insane fights and sh you know she's having these insane fights and then you've got Candy who's sort of not really there and then you've got Kenya talking about her baby journey it just it all feels sort of disconnected and doesn't like the sum of the parts don't the sum what is it the the sum of the whole isn't equal to the sum of its parts it's like the opposite like the parts are good but it's not making a good show in, in its entirety somehow 
Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I've had this conversation with people of like, what would you do? And I just really don't know what the answer is. And I've been really defensive about the idea of a quote unquote reboot, not in the New York style, but just in in the New York season five style of like, Mm -hmm. is this the time to do a real call of the cast? And I just am so not equipped to answer that. And I sort of refuse to. I'm yeah, just like, it, I know that there's a problem here, but I'm not going to participate in, in imagining a, a universe where some of these people are not still on the show. Yeah, it's really difficult because it's not even the same issue as New York, right? Because there's so many people who haven't been there for as long as, you know, Candy has and Sheree coming mm-hmm. back. I Kenya. think Kenya, I mean, oh, I love Kenya. I know, I love um, Kenya. Love Kenya. I, I think she's, I, I, so I was re-watching Huh, shocker, old seasons of Atlanta recently. And I was re-watching the season where Kenya joined. And that was the season where Phaedra and Apollo kind of pushed the lie that Kenya tried to go down on him and tried to like hook up with him, right? And and I was thinking, I was like, you know, that turned out to not be true. Mm-hmm. And it, like Apollo said, it was a straight up lie. Like Sheree, I mean, Phaedra acknowledged it was a straight up lie. And yet I think that season set a really unfortunate tone for Kenya on the show because in the minds of fans, it still sort of seemed like maybe some people still thought it was true or it could be true or it just put her in, it painted her into this corner as the villain because then Phaedra was after her every single year after that. And what, you know, they were just, they never stopped coming for her. And I feel like Kenya doesn't get a fair shake with the fans or from the show sometimes about what she brings, who she actually is as a person and a mother. And I think she just kind of got forced into this caricature through probably her own doing too of Kenya Moore, Real Housewives of Atlanta versus like who she actually is. I don't know. I can't really like figure it out. It's just, she never seemed to match her actions with who she is. Well, I think, I mean, I think there's a fair amount of ownership that Kenya should take in that. But I also think, like, she joined the cast and it was Miss America versus Miss USA, a little bit of a class with a countess kind of energy and vibe. (laughs) And then maybe there was her, like, defying gravity moment where Kenya was like, okay, if you think I'm going to be a piece of shit, well, maybe that's the spot that I can have and let me sharpen some knives and let me become exactly who you might think I am, except now I'm in control of it and I know how to create a moment and I know how to fuck with people. And I will go exactly to the lengths that I feel like either they deserve or is required. And that is what she did for a very long time. And I think in many ways, the breakup with Mark as seemingly complicated and awful as it has been has also forced her to again when it comes to the trustful exercise maybe have a little bit of trust in herself that someone will catch her in this that she doesn't need to perform in the way that she had for so long and specific to her housewives archetype yeah, I think that's really spot on. And I think that it's it is interesting when you see someone sort of playing a role versus someone like maybe like a Candy, who I think is very authentically herself all the time. And I think, you know, almost can't be. But I'm also in a tough place with her because I feel like Candy's now in this place 
which is exactly what she criticized Nini for when Nini was in LA and they went to visit her and she was doing all the shows. It's like, you're too busy for the show. You're, you are too busy to be on the show. You're too busy to film. You don't have time for it, which is fine. Like you are like, go get your money. Like, go get you. Like, that's great. Uh, you've built something for yourself. That's phenomenal. But if you can't be here, then don't be here. And I think she's sort of living out everything she criticized Nini for in those seasons. I also think there is the idea attached to that, related to that, of like personality versus Google Cal, because Nini, and you could say deservedly so, was like, I'm above this. I, you know, I, I am an OG. I created this universe. Yeah. I'm the reason that housewife celebrity is a thing in many ways. I don't need to be here like with y'all versus Candy, where like maybe there's an element i don't know i just i love candy so much but like with candy it's like no i quite literally i am just yeah. doing a lot <laughs> i just i got a lot going on like i just i don't know how much time i have for this and maybe energy too like i'm not right. i don't need to invest in this because i have investments elsewhere and that can be really really tough yeah i think she still sees i think she sees it still as a great brand opportunity right she can put all of her brands on the show and so that's what probably keeps her really invested because she knows I can launch anything. I can launch it on the show and I can actually make a website that works and then people can go to it, you know? And so I think that's kind of the candy of it all. But it's interesting, you know, the Nini sort of feeling above it. I mean, in this moment of, you know, not to bring it back to our favorite person right now, but if Bethany's sort of trying to have this reality reckoning or whatever she wants to call it. Jared! But Nini was saying all of this five years ago. Nini was saying, like, this was Nini's problem. This is why she sued or whatever. Like, she's, like, she, you know, she's done press recently where she's really beat by beat laid out the issue. And she was like, I was not being paid for the work that I was doing on the show in a way I felt was fair. And that, to me, it's so interesting. And sure, some of it is timing, right? There's a whole different conversation having, but the fact that Bethany has been able to have a conversation more successfully for interpreted however you will than Nini could when I think Nini had way more like fact-based stuff because she was in it at the time. Bethany doesn't need this. She doesn't need the show. She doesn't, you know, she sees this as an opportunity for herself to become like Norma Ray, but like, you're not it. You're not Norma, ma'am. Yeah, I did. I forget if this was included in the piece itself, but I did reference Bethany as Norma Ray Frankel oh, really? <laughs> in one of the pieces. I forget if I, I forget if that was if that was in the uh, final. But like the idea for privilege to Bethany is yes, Bethany's privilege is like a part of her brand, and yeah. when it it's like the thing that she will constantly remind you of. I can do this because spoiler alert. I have all of the money in the world. I can do right. this because right. I continue to be incredibly successful and influential. And it's like the brand identity around that is so interesting because with it comes an absolute blindness of understanding or accepting layers of nuance in the ways she's trying to paint members of the rest of the cast, not named Rachel or Raquel, in right. the ways that she is seemingly even talking about Andy in a way that I was oh, like, it was fine. very aggressive, especially on the third part. It felt like noun word and Andy Cohen was at the at a point in which I thought to myself, okay, 
the ways that we identify Andy Cohen as being the face of the network is all valid. He's the host of Watch What Happens. He hosts the uh, reunions. Right. He's the person who is con- he's the face of BravoCon. Like all of right. this is true. He was an executive. He still has producer title on many of these shows, watches and gives feedback mm-hmm. whenever else. But he's not the executive that he was for several years. And right. yet, and Bethany knows that. And she, and she knows, knows that. And she knows that he will be held responsible in a different way. He still has a ton of power and authority regardless of his 1099. But the reality is, in many ways, he's talent now. And she yeah, but she addresses him on in the conversation with Rachel as being more of an example of the executives than even Alex Baskin, the executive producer, right. producer of Vanderpump Rules, who's not mentioned anywhere near as enough as Andy is. And I'm wondering to myself, is she doing that to piss, to get the audience riled up? Is she doing that to get a response from the network because they're going to care more about Andy's reputation than maybe some of this other stuff? Is she doing that to piss him off? Because at the end of the day, part of her privilege is an understanding of how this stuff works. And yet she wants to paint a certain picture, maybe so it will land harder, but it does feel a little bit disingenuous unless there's some fucking shit she's still working through about her last trip to watch what happens live. I think it's all of the above. Honestly, I think she's, I think, I think it's all, I think she knows that if she says Alex Baskin did this, that doesn't mean anything to trades writing headlines about this. But if they write, Bethany Frankel calls out Andy Cohen, that's very clickable, right? That's a very compelling headline. I will say, Bethany saying, Bethany and Rachel saying that Andy saying Raquel seemed like she was maybe on something is a HIPAA violation. I was like- I was like, okay, so you don't understand how television works. You also don't understand how medicine works. You don't understand how words work. Like it's, but that's the thing. It's like, she's just saying everything to now Raquel's going to think like, wait, do I have like a legal case about a HIPAA violation? Like she, it's so calculated and it's so weird. But it's sloppy. And the problem here is Bethany is attempting to potentially unionize reality TV. She is attempting to say, I am the one to lead the charge. And I'm also going to throw a bunch of fucking pasta against the wall. And spoiler alert, she had an agreement with Jill. A part of their agreement was that the episode was going to be unedited. This agreement, mm-hmm. I don't think was that because as I talked about in the newest AG, I heard, I thought a cut and like there should be cuts yeah. in the conversation. Yeah. They should have sure. an extended conversation and it's edited in whatever way serves the greater purpose. That's the reality of putting out content is that it's not typically this show, which still does have edits at points. But if you know that information is not accurate because at some right. point someone is doing research and you're still putting it out, what makes this different from the stuff that they're calling out as being intentionally inaccurate on the actual show. Like, what's the difference here? I spent too much time this morning looking into HIPAA law and HIPAA violation (laughs) to try to figure out a way in which this would make sense, even though he's not a medical provider. He doesn't have access ostensibly to her medical records. Him making that comment, he apologized for it, uh, for saying it after. Him making that comment 
may have been insensitive, but he said the same thing about Vic Vicky Gumvelson about right. allegedly her being medicating herself to get through the Brooks conversation. Like, I don't know how much of this is supposed to be specific to violations to support Bethany's narrative or a potential lawsuit from Rachel. But I do know we're throwing stuff out here and we're not being responsible with it. Yeah. I mean, it's all, this is all about Bethany. This entire story is Bethany. This has nothing to do with Rachel. Rachel is being used more by Bethany in this instance than I think she was ever used by Vanderpump Rules or Bravo. If you think about it, she made $350,000 on that last season, she said. More than Bethany's interns have made. Bo okay, she made more than $0, which is what she got to go on Bethany's podcast. Whereas Bethany made so much money. You make money on ads. You know, you make money when you sell ads on podcasts. I have never listened to a podcast outside of the Rachel episodes that is more ads than Bethany's podcast. I there have. Are, she was, I mean, really? God, that's a nightmare. Yeah, I have from people involved in Vanderpump Rules. There's BCC. I actually don't think they've done a bad job, but Jackson Brittany's ad oh, stuff has been I, nuts. Also, also, you are doing the Lord's work. Listening to Jackson Brittany talk, that's <laughs> Just another, the Heidos Jesus. Animal. I mean, it was a real sacrifice. <laughs> that's a real. Yeah. You, you've, re you've really suffered for your art. My God, listening to Jack's <laughs> talk. I'm like, God. <laughs> that's, that's hell. Um, but, you know, so the point being... Bethany's monetizing this. Ra Raquel makes no money. And you are making her relive her trauma, but through the guise of giving her a platform, right? You, She talked about like what the cast said to you during the Vanderpump Rules reading was so abusive. I could cry thinking about you as my daughter and hearing these horrible things. She said that immediately after repeating every single thing that was said to her during the reunion that was so awful. It's like, you can't, you can't do both. You either have to be an em empathetic partner and like want to give her a platform or you're using her and you can't have it both ways, Bethany. Or in Bethany's words, sweetie pie. <laughs> I thought it was interesting at the end of her, of part three with Rachel. She said, you know, I, essentially I, I flew out here, which I would never do otherwise. And she did that so that Rachel would feel safe. She also said she did that to ensure Rachel wouldn't have cold feet. Um, she did. So she couldn't back out. I yeah, mean, which I was like, yes. okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, all right. Um, but I thought it was interesting. At one point, she said, you know, that Rachel, she's telling Rachel, you know, you seem strong. I didn't know if you were going to be fragile or a mess. And I'm thinking to myself, you didn't know if she was going to be fragile or a mess. You probably still don't know, ma'am, like how she's doing. Although she seemed, she seems to be in uh, a better place, certainly, obviously, than she was um, from our awareness of how she was doing before she entered treatment. But all that being said, you fucking named all of this terrible stuff to her yeah. face, and you're telling me going in that you didn't know how she would seem, but you had all of this stuff written up, and you were either making a choice in the moment whether or not to do it or doing it anyway to make a bigger point, which was a dark moment in this episode. And I know that there's a conversation around ads and monetizing, and there's also a conversation around traditionally you are not paid for um, guesting on a podcast. I mean, as you now know, this is a priceless moment in time, but it's- I mean, I'd do it for free. I I'd pay you to be here. <laughs> and I would love it. I'd join the Patreon. I would be extremely in. Um, but like, there's a conversation around how should this work if Bethany is- handling a campaign it's a media campaign at this point 
that's all about making sure people are taken care of. People have criticized the fact that there have been so many ads and that Rachel's not getting a cut, which I am less connected to than the fact that (laughs) there was two hours of content a one hour first part, and then you broke up the second into two 30 minute installments to take up as much space as humanly possible, increased downloads, which you released over at least two of her like, quote unquote, branded pods. She has like fucking be whatever. And then the other one and then the other one. And she made to put she made sure to put it out on Rewives, which is ostensibly about talking to non Bravo people about a single episode that they have seen. And then on her um, platform majority pod, which I thought was it's canny. It's a way to get attention. It's a way to ensure that she's charting at number one with more than one show at one time, even though it's the same episode. And at a certain point, it's like, yes, could she have released this without ads if if she wanted it to be a PSA? Yes. But it's obviously also entertainment. And that's the LOL. She refuses to acknowledge that this is not just a public service. There's other stuff happening here while she's talking over and over and over again about the harm of entertainment and what should entertainment actually be. It's like the inherent contradiction is what is going to be difficult about calling for a sea change over the universe of reality TV, including the actual philosophical idea behind Bravo reunions. That's going to be difficult to challenge if Bethany continues to hashtag be strong. And I also don't think, from what I've seen, anyone who is currently engaged in a Bravo show is interested in this conversation, right? Even Lisa Vanderpump, like she did an event last night for Vanderpump. It was like an FYC event. And they asked her and they were like, she's like, I don't think this is the way to go about what we're talking about. And Candy said the same thing. So it's the point. Well, they're they're both still currently employed people by the network. Yeah, tell me. Tell me what you're saying. No, no, I'm I'm just saying like she's never going to get like with with SAG and WGA, it's like everyone who is an actor is doing this, right? You like you have Lisa Rinna saying everyone should boycott BravoCon. You're not on Bravo. You have Bethany saying this, but when you have the people who are the focal point of the fandom, everyone is on a show currently not participating. I think you're going to have a really hard time swaying public sentiment to be on the side of this argument because you won't have the main players backing you up. Well, I think that's the inherent contradiction. That's just the reality that Bethany is fine to have. The yeah. the, the difficulty is going to be in her portrayal as other cast members as both possibly the victims of this other thing too, but really the bad people versus Rachel That's going to be difficult because you're asking the audience and other people to choose between folks that they have followed, liked, loathed, whatever, for over a decade. And this person who is now very, very well known for engaging in an affair for seven months. And it's like many things can be true at once. But the reality when we talk about the writer's strike, when we talk about SAG-AFTRA, is there is a known bad person in this 
that many people focus on. It's the idea of the studios versus the everyday workers, the vast, vast majority of whom like barely qualify for health insurance if they do at all. It's the idea of like us versus them and them have all of it. What Bethany is now doing is saying a part of the them are people who are current cast members. They're also bad. Lisa Vanderpump is bad. Andy is not a cast member, but a part of the cast of the universe of Bravo. Like Andy is bad. Lala is bad. Ariana is bad. Tom Sandoval is not getting anywhere near as much shit as he should be. And I wish that there had been some sort of conversation between Bethany and herself, let alone Bethany and Rachel, of like, drag him to fucking hell. This man recorded you in an intimate act, took advantage of you and of your vulnerability, did it, lied to you about it, and you're saying you told him you didn't trust him and then were giving him the keys to your house and aren't I'm not really seeing the thing I wish I was seeing from Bethany, at least, which was like fucking anger. But the point is the them, which includes Tom, isn't as bad as Andy and, you know, the great unknown. It's like the us versus them. There could be some crossover with current cast members. Tom Sandoval did a terrible thing, admitted to it on camera, and it was removed. It might have been removed so that Bravo could protect themselves, and that was just an added benefit to Tom. But regardless, he's going to be on this show, and it's not likely not going to be discussed. That should be a conversation people should want to have, but instead we're spending so much more time on Rachel's fucking dog, which, (laughs) God bless, I'm an animal lover. I love dogs. I'm a dog person. That's important to talk about, but not as important for the purposes of Bethany's campaign than talking about Tom. But she's not doing she's not talking about the fact that he's still currently employed by Bravo. She's not talking about that because that's not as interesting to her as dragging Andy. And it's like if you want to protect someone, you should be talking about a currently employed cast member who seemingly got away with doing this terrible thing, admitted to it on camera and it was cut out. That is a huge example of this, but it's not as interesting to Bethany for her purposes, which is why a lot of people are fucking pissed about this three to 15 episode goddamn sitch. (laughs) I know. It could also have something to do with the fact that, I don't know if you've heard, but Bethany's never watched Vanderpump Rules. She doesn't know who you are. Oh my God. No, I know. She then said, she went from saying, I've seen it to, I've seen the reunion and I saw like a couple episodes and now she's saying she's seen the whole season, which I do not believe. I'm going to need to put her to a lie detector. Maybe the one LVP used on Beverly Hills. Yeah, I, I I think the real interesting takeaway of this whole Bethany podcast thing is like, Carol was right. Like, like I think I, I was on the wrong side of history. I'm not going to lie. I was so on the wrong side of history in that fight. I was so like... Were you team Bethany during that time? Jared! I thought Carol was being unreasonable. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. But like, but looking back, I'm like, listen, we all make mistakes. As Aaron Lacey will tell you, as Aaron will tell you from Rousers of New York, we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Normalize changing your mind based on new information, Jared. It's the through exactly. line of Andy's girls. I, but I mean, but everything Carol said at that reunion and in that season is 100% what we're seeing now. The gaslighting, the manipulating, the using everything to her advantage, the saying something so much and repeating and repeating and repeating that even the people she's talking about start to believe it. I mean, that's some crazy shit. And I think that Carol was 
Carol saw it and I wasn't there yet. And now I'm very there. And Carol, if you're listening, I'm very sorry. And give me Adam's phone number. <laughs> Carol, if, and Adam just had a baby. Did you see that? She liked the what? most. No. Adam had a baby. No, she that, liked the oh, most. That's, they seem to have a cute relationship. Yeah. No, I know. Because Carol's a grown up. I'm not a grown up, I, but Carol is a grown up. Oh, no, um, no. When, when, I break, when I break up with somebody, they cease to exist and I delete them from all... From all memory banks. 100%. I'm like, you are, rest in peace, may your memory be a blessing, but over here you will never be blessed. So, exactly. Like, I've, I've never understood the I'm friends with my ex people. It makes it makes no logical sense. But God bless them. There is a place for that. I just don't have that much emotional boundary, yada, yada, when it comes to a romantic relish. So. I know. I think this is why I would be bad on reality television because I'm a Scorpio and one of mm. the biggest Scorpio traits about me is if somebody like I, I always refer to like my energy as a light switch right if Ooh. it's on for every it's on for everybody like it's okay. always on it's always I'm always very receptive if you do something that makes me gives me the ick or it makes me turn off my light switch I literally cannot turn it back on Got again. It. it's like there's no there's no way to even if I forgive you it's still off, but we're just good now. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, it's, it's, and I think that's, I think to be on reality television, you have to really be willing to not only forgive people, but like truly forget in some way. And I am too crazy. I don't know what the word is. I, I'm, I'm too, uh, it's too much for me to actually like truly forget. I don't get how that works. I feel the same. And I like truly, if you like cross me a couple times, it depends on who you are and what you've done. But there are people where I'm like, I can't even pretend to say hi to you. Like, I, I really can't even do like the fake friendly follow. It's like you, right. it's like, I know who you are now and I cannot pretend any different, which would make someone either very good or very bad for reality TV. Cause I would right, like true. begin with a conflict and be like, my resolution is like, I think you're a piece of shit and that's enough for me. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Ex exactly. Listen, this is a true to be continued. It's been a joy having you on Andy's Girls. Thank you for coming on. I loved our kind of like merry little adventure. We touched on New York. We touched <laughs> on Orange County. We touched on Atlanta and we ended up with a little Bethany Michigan. So more power to us. Mazel of the day to us both. I love a conversational detour that somehow finds its way back to where it should be. And it always was going in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Agree. Um, tell the AGs where they can follow you on social, anything you've got cooking, all that and more. Sure. Yeah. I'm Jared says one R two T's on all social platforms and we don't call it X. We still call it Twitter. Sorry, Elon. That's the thing. It's like, I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck to, because then it's like you go to the thing and it says X, but like it's still Twitter.com or whatever. I know. And, you, and it's a tweet. It's a, it's not an X. It's a tweet. I called it ABC Family, its entire existence, even though it was free form. Like, I can't, I'm not changing what I call something because you decide it's different now. It's just not how that works. I love that energy. I'm very much, I mean, it's a very, it's a Scorpio, Aries kind of intersection. Yeah. I'm extremely here for it. You guys, um, like this week of 30,000 episodes uh, here of Andy's Girls, listen, say thanks by... Um, I guess continuing to listen. Thank you so much. <laughs> and, uh, there is also the Andy Scrolls Patreon. Number one way to support the pod. You get exclusive bonus episodes and so much more. Send me your satchels of gold. Message me on Instagram at Dame Galley. Email me a thesis at andysgirlsshow at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts and your reaction to the Bethany Rachel conversation. 
what you agree with, what you disagree with, including perspectives that you've heard on AG or elsewhere this week. I would love to read them and include your first name in town. They may be featured on an upcoming Patreon app, which will be a Satchel Spectacular. So you can join the Andy's Girls Patreon at patreon.com slash Girls. Again, slide into my DMs on Instagram at Dame Galley or shoot me a thesis spectacular. I would love to hear your perspectives. And that's one of my favorite things to do on the Patreon is to um, discuss your thoughts and reactions and inside and outside of the AG universe. That's always, always a delight. Um, so thanks to all of you for listening this week. Oh my God, so many fucking episodes. I can't get enough. I can't wait for a nap as well. Even though <laughs> I hated naps until Bethany announced these drops and now I am apparently very team nap. But my God, what an episode, Jared. Thank you so much for coming on. This was really, really a lot of fun. I'm so thankful for it. This was great. And I say with love, go to sleep. I go know, to sleep. <laughs> real, I need to do my own little scary island, which is the idea that Bethany is going to release bonus footage and then the video. <laughs> oh, and then oh, I'm Lord. never, I know it's like, it's a total spiritual collapse. But until then, an absolute to be continued. Thanks to all of you for listening and your continued support of AG. I appreciate all of you and to Jarrett for joining me on this episode. And here's to more conversations to come. On that note, guys, we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.